Right, the second Bible reading comes from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. It can be found on page 1289 on the Pew Bible. Okay, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You, are, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich and white clothes to wear, and you can cover your shameful nakedness and soft to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and I sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Rose, for reading God's word to us this morning. I do have a couple of co- extra copies of the transcript of the sermon this morning. If you uh, want a copy, it's right in the front. Just raise your hand and somebody will get it to you, okay? Um, should be fine. Uh, well, let's, uh, let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. Uh, we thank you for your uh, uh, blessings to us in your word. We pray that your spirit will speak to our hearts this morning and that you would keep on knocking on our hearts, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, um, today we will wrap up our series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. If you are a visitor here this morning, we uh, try and work through uh, particular books of the Bible and sometimes sections of the Bible. Uh, sometimes we do topical sermons as well, such as uh, uh, recently in our evening service on the topic of work. And today, uh, we will conclude this particular series on the seven churches. And next Sunday, uh, we conclude uh, the, the chapter 4. We look at chapter 4, uh, which I think has a connection uh, with these churches as well. So, we will wrap up these, uh, the, uh, this series this morning. We have seven wonderful messages that are applicable to every church of every age in these, uh, in these wonderful letters. So, we have looked at this morning... Are we coming on? Uh, okay. Yes, that's good. All right. So we have looked at and we've seen uh, the church at Ephesus, uh, the church that lost its first love. And it's very possible that as you go along in, in life uh, to lose one's first love and in the Christian faith, that is quite possible as well. And so they lost their first love for Jesus. The second one was the church in Smyrna. And this was a church that was suffering. It suffered for their faith in Jesus Christ but it continued to endure. The third church was the church in Pergamum. 
And this church was a compromising church. They began to compromise the truth of the gospel and God's word. And Jesus had to address this church uh, in, in a strong way. Uh, then we had Thyatira, which was a church that was tolerant. It tolerated false teachings. We think of the Nicolaitans as we looked at and Jezebel and the teachings that that church in, uh, continued on. And then Sardis, the dying church. And Philadelphia, the church with an open door, an opportunity to go out, an opportunity for outreach that Christ had opened. And so these are the six churches that we have looked at so far. And today we continue to look at uh, the seventh church, which is the church at Laodicea, which is characterized by being lukewarm. And last Sunday we looked at Revelation chapter 3, 14 to 18. And today we will look at the second half of this letter, Revelation chapter 3, 19 uh, to the end. Well, friends, let me recap very quickly from uh, last week. Laodicea, as we know, was well known for its medical school, which produced an eye medicine, an eye salve, an ointment to cure any eye diseases. So it was well known for that. It was well known for its black wool. It was well known for its banking industry. For some of our bankers here this morning, well, you'll know what it's like to be in the banking industry. I see, I see someone smiling here this morning. That's good. Well, Laodicea was a very wealthy city. It had the bankers. All the bankers were there. The business leaders. They had these, the, the physicians there. It was a very wealthy city at the time. It was so wealthy that when an earthquake almost entirely destroyed it in 60 AD, its wealthy citizens, get this, refused any help from Rome to rebuild the city. Because of its wealth and prosperity, this city was a self-sufficient city. Imagine refusing help from the government. It doesn't come easily, does it? They're always taking money from us. What about when they give us money? No, no, we don't want it. Because we are self-sufficient. We've got enough money. We don't need yours. Now, friends, though this city was rich and self-sufficient, it had a major problem. It had a water problem. And that's what we see here. The hot springs from uh, uh, another city, Hierapolis, uh, a distance of about 10 kilometers, sent water of medicinal quality down to Laodicea. And by the time this water... Uh, came and arrived in Laodicea through the aqueducts, or the pipes, uh, as we saw last week in, in some of the, the, uh, the pictures and the, and the video clip I showed you last week, it became lukewarm. Now, by contrast, Colossae, the other city, was blessed with springs producing refreshing water and cold and pure water. The problem was, either way, when the water came and reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm. I don't know about you. Do you like enjoying a lukewarm tea? I see some of you shaking your heads. A lukewarm coffee? What about a nice latte? It doesn't work, isn't it? If it's really lukewarm. I mean, the other day, I, um, Rose had made some beautiful, beautiful chicken soup with fresh coriander leaves and everything. Ah, it's magic. Anyway, I put it in the microwave for a few minutes, took it out, thought, wow, this is going to be great. Put the spoon in at the bottom of the, the, the bowl. I got some soup out and it was so lukewarm. Back in the microwave. Came out hot. Nice. That's the point, isn't it? Either we're going to be hot or going to be very cold. Here Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold, that is either you're refreshingly cold, so that you're of great value, 
or you're burning hot. Like the water from the hot springs. But don't be lukewarm. Don't be tepid. And Jesus is nauseated by this self-righteous, self-sufficient, complacent church. This lukewarm church. And so he says in verse 16, if you have your Bibles, to that chapter you can see that. He says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out. That is, the Greek word that is used there is, I am about to vomit you. I am so nauseated. I am about to throw you out. Not a nice picture, is it? Okay. And that's what Jesus says, you make me sick. To the point that I feel like throwing out. Man. What a place to be in, isn't it? Terrible. He tells them their true condition. Verse 17. Uh, you say I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing, Jesus says that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. We looked at those things last week. And he prescribes the cure. He says, come and buy from me. And so today we're going to look at the balance of this letter under, under two points which is the encouragement that Jesus gives to this church, 19 and 20. And then the privileged position. Now look at these things this morning. The encouragement that Christ gives to a lukewarm church. What does he say to this church? And he also gives us a privileged position. And I want us to see that this morning, so that we will rejoice in the privileged position that is that is going to be ours as well. The encouragement, friends. Look at your text. Those, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. You see, Jesus affectionately reminds them that it is his love for them that motivates him to reprove and discipline them if they continue in this state. That is, if they are continuing to be lukewarm, there is going to be some kind of correction, some, some kind of discipline rather than judgment and punishment. I don't say judgment and punishment here, it's discipline and reproof. Now, in the Old Testament, we read this in Proverbs. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Now, friends, we don't know what this reproof and this discipline is for the church. Whatever it is, it's going to be good. Now, most of us are parents here this morning, or maybe you've got grandchildren. Someone said to me, the nicest stage of grandchildren is you look after them, don't discipline them, spoil them, and send them back. It's nice, isn't it? Give them everything they need. I was joking with my daughter, and she said, Dad, you're not going to have any of our children if if that's your attitude and approach. The point is, if you are a parent, which I am as well, discipline is hard. I mean, when I discipline uh, or get into things where I talk to our kids, and sometimes I go back into my room and think, was that fair? Was that right? And then I'll talk about it with Rose. I think, is that, is that the right way? And then I'll sit there and vegetate about these things, which I know in my heart it's right to do. But discipline is always hard, isn't it? As a parent, you know that. <laughs> and you want to do, you want to discipline your child because, why do you do it? See, when I disciplined my kids when they were all so small, I would say to them, I did this because I loved you and I still love you. That's the point, isn't it, as parents. 
We do it because we love them. We do it so that they will hopefully learn from their mistakes and then don't go back to that anymore. We do it because we care for them. It is for their good. And so Jesus says to this church that those whom he loves, he will reprove and he will discipline. And he says to this church, I want you to think about your status. I don't know what this discipline and reproof is going to be. We don't have it in the text here this morning. But he says to this church, be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Why zealous, friends? You see, because a lukewarm church or a lukewarm Christian is one. I was trying to figure this out. What does a lukewarm church or a lukewarm Christian look looks like in the context of zeal here? You see, a, look, a lukewarm Christian is a person who has, or a church, who has lost his or her or their zeal for Jesus. Lost his or her or their passion for Jesus. Lost the spiritual drive for Jesus. It is someone who is perhaps backsliding in the faith. Someone who has no time for the things of Jesus. And I suspect, friends, it begins with the heart. And it starts with little things. And before long, you've drifted. It's something like this. It's like a, sh- like a big ship that's listing or it's just gone off the coast. Gradually. And we've heard of that, haven't we? Ship, a ship has just drifted and come ashore. It doesn't come straight away. It moves slowly. And gradually, and before long, it has listed, gone, come ashore. That's the point, isn't it, in the Christian life as well. So it is also for the lukewarm person. It can begin by drifting. And some of the reasons for this, I'm trying to figure this out. Why? How come? Perhaps it could be discouragement. Some discouragement in a person's life. You think of, uh, well, what's the use? I feel so discouraged. I feel like just throwing in the towel. Have we been there? I mean, let's be, let's be frank about this. Perhaps you're, you're just sick about this whole Christian thing. Ah, that Christian thing. Those guys, oh man, I'm just sick of, sick of it. I'm sick of it. I was speaking to someone just recently. Uh, being in a Christian family, everything, this, this man, he has a family, he said, I'm just, I simply I asked the question, are you a Christian? He said, no, I, do, I just don't believe. I just don't believe it. This view. Perhaps you're impatient with Jesus. Perhaps you've been praying for something, and God has not answered your prayer, and you think, what's the use of me praying? What's the purpose of this? This is ridiculous. I'm going to give, just throw in the towel. Maybe you've just gone so cold. (laughs) Now, friends, there could be a multiplicity of reasons when lukewarmness can creep in. Many of us, I suspect, friends, this morning, if we are really honest, all right? Have there been times that you've gone a bit cold? Or, not really sure. (laughs) Have you time sometimes you kind of drifted away? Just kind of gone away a bit? Got a bit lukewarm? I think, I think if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, 
You probably say, yes, I have. Yes, I have. Sometimes my heart has got a bit cold. Sometimes I've just kind of drifted away. Sometimes I just got so lukewarm. I have lost the passion. I've lost the zeal. I've lost the will. I've lost this power to continue on, you might say. And I tell you, friends, that when that going is really tough at times, it's very easy to drift away. Right? But when you're going really well, perhaps you're right up there and everything is going and you're whistling while you work. It's alright. But when things are going tough, and you can gradually drift from Christ. And so you can become lukewarm. So Jesus said to this church, he said, come by from me, verse 18, but here in our, in our text this morning, he gives them three things, so be zealous, repent, and have fellowship with me. Three things. Be zealous. Now you might say, well, what is this to be zealous? To be spiritual. It means to be spiritually on fire. It means to be wholehearted. And he commands them to be zealous. It's in the present tense in the original. That is to keep on being zealous. The Apostle Paul also called the church to be fervent. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Be zealous. I was talking to my dad the other day. He's a Collingwood supporter. Any Collingwood supporters, don't raise your hand here. No, it's okay. Any Geelong supporters, just put both hands up. Uh, oh, only one? Anyway, what's going on? <laughs> anyway, the point is this. So my, I, my dad said to me, you know, son, I'm not going to support Collingwood anymore. I think there's a few things he said, and you should get rid of the coach. And now, these are not to be quoted outside, all right? So I said, I think I should change the team. I said, why? Why do you want to change your team? You just continue persevering. Look at me. I mean, I continued on with Geelong for years. And I had to wait for such a long time before we won a cup. And we won the next one and hopefully we'll win this year as well. Do you think so? Uh, thumbs up, right? <laughs> okay. The point is, you continue on, isn't it? You persevere on. You don't just give up. Continue on. And wasn't that a great match yesterday? It doesn't matter. The point is, spiritual zeal. You, you see the passion. You see the passion of these people when they're at the footy? You hear the songs that they sing? They sing with, do they sing like, do they sing like that? Or the mighty hawks, do they? Not that the hawks are mighty, but it doesn't matter. They, they, sing, they sing with their gusto, don't they? They are full of zeal. Man, they are jumping up and down there. What's, what I think, what drives them? Because there's a passion and a zeal. Now, in the spiritual sense, it doesn't mean that I can become all zealed up by, my, by myself. That becomes then a sense of self-righteousness. You see, how we are zealed up for God is by the power of His Spirit. When the Spirit of God works in my heart constantly and, and continues on, that gives me the zeal and the enthusiasm and the power of Christ to continue on. Because it is His power that works 
in our hearts. By myself, I'm a weakling. By myself, I will be lukewarm until I die. By myself, I can't achieve nothing spiritually. But in Christ, I can achieve all things. Do you see the point? And he keeps infusing into us his spirit of power and strength that when I feel so weak, then I am strong. That's the answer, isn't it? The Holy Spirit, the forgotten... We believe in the Trinity, correct? Yeah? What's that? Father, Son, and, 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 and... Aha, aha. Holy Spirit. Do we talk much about the Spirit? Do we trust the working of the Spirit? I think the Holy Spirit, someone said to me last week, the Holy Spirit has been forgotten in our churches today. (laughs) We can't. Actually, it was in the Friday morning growth group, by the way. Repent, Jesus says to this church. See, repent, come back to me. Repent is to turn around. It's a 180 degree turn. Come back. Come back to me, Jesus says. And the purpose of such repentance is so that they can have fellowship with him. As we see in the next verse, in verse 20. Fellowshiping with Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, friends, have a look at this passage. Behold, look, behold, see, I am standing at the door. And what is he doing? He's knocking. Now, some of us have gone um, to houses and to homes, uh, door knocking, right? To give them tracts and invitations for the church. Some places they have these stickers. Door knockers at our doors. Have you seen that? No people to come and knock on our doors. Nothing. So when I see the sticker, we just move on. Because I think, I figure out, if I go and knock there, I'll be knocked out as well. <laughs> right? Okay. Boom. Off you go, Chris. But you see, Christ comes and he knocks. As we know, a door is a point of entry or exit. And here we see Jesus, this is an interesting text because there's uh, lots going on here, figuratively speaking, standing at the door of this lukewarm church and knocking on it to seek entry. And here we see Jesus doing that. He comes knocking at the door of this church as well as at the hearts of individuals in the hope of a response and follow me with me this text here this morning. What does this mean, friends, knocking at the door? Well, Jesus is knocking at the door of this church as a whole. He has already made the point that he wants to spit them out of his mouth. He's disgusted with this church. He's outside the life of this church and its ministry. It has been Christ has been marginalized. That's what's happened here. He is not the center of the church's life. What a sad state of affairs. Where you go to a church and Christ is not preached. What, what is the church there for, friends? To give you nice stories? You come to church, you hear a sermon, or you... I mean, John and myself will have it nice and easy if you come and give you a nice five-minute wrap on the week. <laughs> oh, let's give you a five-minute wrap of what happened last week. No, no, no. We hear the word of God, isn't it? Christ has been kept out of this church. Outside of the church. I still remember visiting a couple of years ago John Calvin's church in, in, in Geneva. 
And uh, I've read so much of John Calvin, so I said to the kids, I'm, we are going there. No matter what happens, wherever we go, we are going to that church. So I went there. We went there. We saw Calvin's chair. I thought I can go and sit there. We can't do it because it's all roped up. I asked the guy, can I get onto that pulpit? No, you can't get onto the pulpit. You have to speak to the senior guy here. I said, well, I'm also a minister. Can I get on there just for the... Just, just to say I stood there. I thought that that's so sacramental or something. <laughs> no, no, you can't do that either. So, okay. That didn't work. <laughs> so I turned around. We looked around the church. This was a church that proclaimed Christ. Proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I looked around. And what do we see in the back there? Books for dummies on, on various faiths. Being sold right there. And the church has gone liberal. What a sad thing. That's an example where Jesus is put on the outside. Can you see that? He's not the inside. He's kept on the outside. The church's life is not centered around Jesus. No, it's centered around so many other things. And so you go to church and you expect to hear about God's love and His grace and His mercy and His goodness and His sovereignty and that Jesus died for you on the cross that He's redeemed you. You hear nothing of those things. And I think, ministers, what on earth are you doing? You see, you could wear all the... I could wear the regalia here. I got a... When I was previously in another church, I had a black robe that I had with velvet around me. And so it's still hanging in my wardrobe, by the way. I could, I could, we could wear all of those things and come here and speak some nice lovey-dovey stuff. Would that, would that satisfy you? Would that satisfy you? No. You say, Chris, there's a door, you go. That's a door for you. And so we have a responsibility, the church, to keep Christ at the center of our ministries. If Jesus is kept out, we've lost it. And so Jesus knocks here at this church. He comes in, he wants to come in here. Not that he can't come in. Figuratively speaking, he's kept out. I once remember visiting a church uh, when I was actually dating a long time ago with Rose. I said on a Sunday, we go to a church. So went there to the church, sat in the front, and the service leader said, we are going, first thing he said, let's give a crap for Jesus. Okay, now that's hard for me because I have reformed faith and so forth. So I thought, what do I do here now? Right? So uh, anyway, the next thing was, said, oh, let's invite Jesus into our midst. I looked at Rose and said, what on earth is this? I mean, imagine I'm in my house and I'm outside and someone in the house is saying, well, let's invite Chris into his own house. What? I have the right to come in there anytime, correct? You have the right to go into your home anytime. Jesus doesn't have to be invited. He is he's the one who invites us. You see what I'm saying? We think, oh, we're going to invite him into our church. Oh, no, 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 no. He invites me. He invites me to come and be part of him. I don't need to invite him. Oh, Lord, come in. Let me give you a clap for you this morning. Now, I'm not... Let the people want to clap for Jesus. Do it. That's all right. <laughs> but it comes from the heart. You see, Jesus is knocking. The second thing is, I believe that he's also knocking at the door of the individual believers to their hearts within the church. He's knocking on the heart of a lukewarm believer, I think. Let me sup, he says, let me sup with you. Let me fellowship with you. I want to enjoy this fellowship with you. I love to have this ongoing relationship with you. Let me come in. Let me enjoy. Let us eat together. 
that's what he's saying here as well. And the, and, and the knocking, I believe, is also, I think, to the nominal believer. He's saying here, if you do not believe, and you're not being saved, that is, you're not born again, Jesus is knocking at the door. And the invitation, in the broader sense, goes to every person who hears the gospel, to the unconverted. And this knocking on the door by Jesus to open the heart is always the work of the Spirit of grace. To the unconverted person, this knocking on the door by Jesus is the power of God to save you. And so we read this morning uh, the the, the text as as it is said. Today, if you hear his voice... What is it? Aha. Can can we say it again? Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What is to harden your heart? It is to say, no, no, no. And the Lord is knocking. He's knocking you on your heart today. I am stubborn. No way, God. No way. Jose, you might say, this is going to happen. But Jesus knocks. And perhaps it's you this morning. Perhaps it's you who's backslidden. Perhaps it's you who kind of wandered away from your Savior Jesus. You knew so much about him in the past. You've learned so much about him. But now your heart has become lukewarm and you have gone. Or perhaps you've never heard this gospel. You've never heard of God's amazing love for you. That he died for you at the cross. That he wants to redeem you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to come into your heart. He wants to make you a brand new person. Wow. What a blessing is that. eh? When Christ comes into our lives, he changes us and he transforms us and he works in us and he energizes us and he gives us the power to live. Yes, um, is there an amen here? Aha, uh-huh, that's good. <laughs> this is becoming very... No, it's okay. Amen, isn't it? Because Jesus writes this letter as the amen to this church. Look at, at the start of this letter. He writes this letter as the amen, the faithful, the true witness. And so when Christ comes into you, have you received Jesus today? Are you thinking that you can get to heaven because of your good works? Because you are a good person. Because I have done this. Will you? No. Only Christ opens. And he says, I want to have fellowship with you. What a wonderful blessing, isn't that? In the Eastern mind, hospitality and food was an indication of the special friendship bond enjoyed together. See, the Bible talks a lot about food. Some people say, Chris, you always talk about food. But where do I get that from? Jesus says, I want to come and sup with you. I want to eat with you. I want to enjoy. Right? And we know what food does, don't we? Right? We can have uh, dumplings. The other day I bought about 15 dumplings. Wow, it was fantastic. Right? You can have yamcha. I don't know. Yamcha. You can have whatever foods. We sit down, we invite people to our homes. What do we do? We sit at our table and we share the food and we talk and we laugh and we enjoy each other's company. Right? Do you do that? Yeah, you do that. You do that with your families most times? Yeah, we sit around the table and we talk and we enjoy food, we enjoy company, because food brings people. And Jesus is saying, I want to come and sup with you, I want to eat with you, I want to enjoy fellowship with you. Let's enjoy together. Let's have this relationship going. That's what it is. How is your relationship with Christ this morning? Is he on the outside? 
Or are you enjoying him inside? Are you? Are you supping with him? How are you going spiritually? See, that's the point. Because when you get this right, you know, in ministry, sometimes there's so many challenges that comes my way. And I was speaking about this to a minister recently. And uh, I, I said to him, you know, I have to, we have to separate sometimes the issues of church and all of those things. And you have to do it in your own life and focus on our relationship with Christ. This is a senior minister of our, of our church, a great brother. I said, Chris, always focus on your relationship with Jesus. That's the first thing. Don't let other stuff, other stuff come and take your joy and delight from Christ. Sup with him. Are you doing that this morning? And notice, friends, the privileged position we have here. The one who conquers, verse 21, 22, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Wow! What's a throne? Throne is a symbol of authority, of power. When the queen had a 90th birthday, did you see some of the things that she celebrated? And she sat on her throne with the full crown and everything. It's a position of authority, right? And Jesus says here, you will sit with me on my throne, just as I conquered and sat down. That is, he died, he rose, he ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, he's on the throne. And when you die, and when you come to me, and one day, when Christ returns, you will reign with me on my throne. What a privileged position. Are you rejoicing with that today? That one, you've been a beggar, a pauper, spiritually, and you're brought to sit at the throne. Wow. Imagine if the queen would invite you to come and share with her a throne. Sit at the table with a throne. What would you do? No, your majesty, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm too busy. I'm sorry, I declined the invitation. Would you say that? Would you say that? Maybe you might, I don't know. You would say, wow. What a privilege, eh? For me to sit at the throne at the, with the queen, her majesty. He'd be like, man, what do I deserve to get this? <laughs> Imagine you get the invitation in the mail from Buckingham Palace and says, come, we'll share the throne here with, the, with her majesty. I'm sure you, yes, the ticket as well. What will you do? You'll go, right? You'll be thinking, what have I done? And so spiritually, what have we done to deserve this? Have you done anything to deserve sitting on the throne with Christ? Nothing. That's a privileged position. And then we conclude. I, um, John Stott put it this way. Um, he said, uh, the well-known theologian, if we let Christ enter the house of our heart, he will let us enter the house of his Father. Moreover, if we allow Christ to sit with us at our table, he will allow us to sit with him on his throne. Wow. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. How is our spiritual hearing? Hmm? Alright? The other day I was at Forest Hill um, Shopping Center. And there's this lady standing there. If she, you might, those of you, people shop at Forest Hill. Some of you do, I know, I've seen you there. Right? <laughs> and this lady is out there in the, in, the, in the place where they have these hearing aids. You know that place? 
And she's standing out there and giving leaflets. So I'm going by and she gives me one. She probably thinks this guy's deaf. Yeah, right? So I said, what? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why don't you come and get a hearing test done and so forth? Right? So I'll come next time. And she's out there because people, we get deaf, right? As you get older or maybe younger, you're suffering from deafness. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's part of that whole process. Right? And so we've got to get a hearing aid to hear. Sometimes I think spiritually, we need a hearing aid. Because our spiritual ears have become so deaf. They can't hear. God is speaking, but I can't hear. Because I'm spiritually so dead. If Christ is knocking on your heart this morning, and if you are lukewarm towards Jesus, I pray this morning that you and myself will examine our hearts before Him and get that right with Christ and everything else will flow after that. And so, friends, on that note, we conclude this series and this message this morning. And if you do not know Jesus today, and you want to know Christ, you want to know more about Christianity, there will be some people up here, and uh, I'll be around if you need to talk to me, or to John, who will be very willing to speak to you. All right? This morning, come to know this Savior, because He loves you, and He's given everything for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord.